Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning we thank you for beautiful weather. Thank you, God, for a great weekend of blue skies and sunshine. And yet we're here today, Father, not because the weather is great, but because there's somebody who makes weather. There's somebody who makes that sun happen. And we're even reminded, God, that the sun won't always be here. There will be a time when there will be no need for the sun. For you will be on display in all of your fullness, God, and you are brighter than the sun. The sun is just a a, a piece of your creation. We don't need it. And so we're here today, Father, to look at you. And Father, if, 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 if there is in any of us a, a, a hardened heart or a, or a sinfulness or a laziness or an apathy, God, that says, I'm just not that into God. Oh, Lord, would you show us yourself today? Would you reveal yourself? Would you come strong? Would you overcome that attitude? Oh, God, let us see you for who you are. We ask that you would do that today through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn back to Exodus, please. Exodus chapter 9. As we are going through the plagues, today we get, we're getting near the end. Last week we looked at 4 through 6. And today we're at the seventh plague, and it's kind of a longer passage, so we're going to look at, look at just it, and then uh, we'll, we'll keep going next week and with, with the eighth and ninth, and then we're going to get into the tenth here really, really soon. And we see um, in these plagues a whole lot about God and a whole lot about sinful people. And we are, we are really being challenged and really being stretched to understand God and His greatness and us in our sinfulness. And that, that is happening. I pray that that continues happening here today. Perhaps the strongest yet. It does seem that in these ten plagues, each time God is ratcheting it up just a little bit more. Ratcheting it up just a little bit more uh, so that we would know God. And that He is not to be taken lightly. Our passage today covers a theme that is outstanding. One of my, one of the things that I find myself saying often is that I, I know that there are places in the Bible that are that are hard to understand, and people often like to dismiss or excuse themselves from the truth of God or the Word of God because they don't understand it. But but I like to remind people that there's a lot in there that is really really simple. There is. There's a lot in there that a child can understand. Matter of fact, Jesus says that the whole thing is to be understood the way a child would understand it. Right? Unless you come to me like a child, you have nothing to do with me, Jesus says. So let's not, let's not be so sinful and, and okay with excuses that we say, you know, I just don't understand the Bible. It's hard. That we dismiss a lot of it. In our passage today with the seventh plague, it is clear as day. There's not a person in the room that will walk out of here today going, well, I don't understand that. Right? I don't know what that part's about because it is clear. He makes it clear. He says twice, for this reason, for this very purpose, here's what I'm doing. Here's why you're going through it. Here's what I'm wanting to happen. Here's the reason. Here's the purpose. And that is the thing that so often me and you and everybody else is searching for. The, the why question, right? Why, why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why now? Or or why me? Why me? Even this week, I stood uh, 
outside here in Fairdale and, and had a conversation with the man and how you doing? I asked him and he, he just goes on and, 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 it, and it went a little bit like this. And how you doing? Well, we're doing all right. Well, what's going on? Man, we just can't seem to catch a break. Just, just one thing after another and just can't get ahead. And I said, yeah, man, I, I know life is, life is hard. And, and here's what he said next. And it's also familiar to me and to you. He said, I just don't know why this happens to us. That's what he said. I just don't know why this happens to us. And there's that, that why being asked. And yet what I want you to know is that God... Now, there, there might be smaller answers that are a little bit harder to discern. But the big answer that God tells us over and over again in the Bible that he wants you to know is that God answers the why question in that he is bringing you, working in your life, to a place of surrender. To a place of, I give up, God. I will trust you fully. It is not worship and it is not Christianity to say, God, I'll handle some of these things in my life when things are in, in place that I can't handle, you, you take over. God's not like that to us. He's wanting everything in our lives to bring us to the place of your God. And I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior and Master and King. That's what God is doing. The answer to the why question is God's doing something in your life to bring you to a place of worship, to bring you to glorifying Him, to trusting Him more fully. That is why. And if you ever, ever, ever hear yourself asking why again to big major things or to little small things like why did I get stuck behind this train right now? Doesn't God know that I need to get there? God is working in your life that you would trust Him. Trust Him fully, complete surrender. And you see this explained in the plagues. Especially in the seventh plague today, hell. Now I want to remind you of the ten plagues. Blood, then frogs. Gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. I want you to remember those. Blood, then frogs, gnats, then flies. Then comes number five, the livestock dies. Boils, hell, locusts, darkness to the eyes. Then comes number ten, the firstborn dies. And through that little rhyme, you can know all ten plagues. But today, it's the seventh. Starting at Exodus chapter 9, verse 13, I want you to see five points. The first is the purpose of life. The next is the power of God. The next is the pride of man. The next is the patience of God. And lastly, the protection of God's people. The, power, the purpose of life, the power of God, the pride of man, the patience of God, and the protection of God's people. Let's start reading here at Exodus 9, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord. The God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Y'all knew that he was going to say that. That's what he said the first six times. This is the setting, right? God's people are slaves in Egypt. The oppression has gotten so harsh. They're miserable. Pharaoh's being mean now, wrong to them, unjust to them. He has made the, the, the work uh, fierce. It's hard. And now God is saying, let my people go. So God, in the Exodus story, is about to rescue the captives. God is about to set the slaves 
free. He's about to bring freedom to them. There's all types of imagery in this Exodus story to what happens in your life as you believe in Christ and are forgiven of your sins. God sets you free from your sins, and that's what's happening. So there's the setting. Moses, get up, go to Pharaoh, and tell him, let my people go so that they may serve me. Verse 14. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people. I'm going to stop there for just a second. All of my plagues? Well, it says all my plagues there, and it's not really all of them. He's not still sending the others and the ones that he hasn't yet sent there. It's really meaning the full force of the plagues. That's what it's meaning. It's about to come strong now. The, 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 the plague of God, which, which I'm wanting you to know, is not so much a punishment, but as a attention grabbing. He wants Pharaoh to know. Remember, I've said that every time. He is not just punishing Pharaoh. He is doing this to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh, Pharaoh would know. If Pharaoh asks why, the answer is, so that you will know me. Okay, that's the purpose in life that we're getting to with point number one. But notice here. That it says, all of my plagues are the full force of my plagues. Can you imagine? Was all of the water turned to blood not enough? Were frogs everywhere, even as you stepped on them in the kitchen or rolled over on them in the bed? Was that not enough? Gnats absolutely everywhere, was that not enough? Flies? Livestock dying? Boils? Everywhere? Was that not enough? Apparently not. God says he's bringing more, and Pharaoh has not given in. Pharaoh's not repented of his sins. The people are still slaves. They've not been let go. And so God is about to bring the full force, it says here in verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people. Look here. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, now let's wait for just a second. Don't you think that Pharaoh could have said... Oh, Moses, I do know that by now, man. Come on. What do you think I am, an idiot? Do you think I'm a a dummy, a fool? Man, he's already been killing us. Blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock dies, boils. What do you you think, I'm dumb? Of course I know that God is God and there's nobody like him. Man, I'm worshiping him. He's got the power to do anything to us. One would think, right? But he doesn't. Pharaoh's response to all of this message from God and power from God is, no, I'm not listening to you. I don't care who you are. I don't accept you. It's, it's ridiculous. One would ask, who in the world would still reject God at this point? Who in their right mind? And the only answer is, no one but a sinner. When you say no one but, it sounds like you've got a small category of people. But when I say no one but a sinner, it sounds like me or you. It sounds like the person who is yet to repent of their sins and surrender to Jesus. Moses says... For God, I will send the full force of my plagues so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Point number one, the purpose of life, that you would know God. John writes in his gospel that these things were written down, that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You have a Bible in front of you right now. 
Not so that you would know something about God. Not so that you would know right or wrong. Not so that it would help you live better. You have a Bible in front of you right now so that you would know God. That He would be real personal. That He would be up close. That you would know the way He feels, the way He acts. That you would know the way He loves. You would know the way He cares. You would know the way He grieves. You would know the way He disciplines. That you would know Him as a father. A father to a child. A father to a child that wasn't in the family that's been adopted into the family. God wants you to know him. And even in our resistance and in our hardness of heart, God continues to put the pressure on that you would know him. I want to ask you today, do you know him? Not know about him. Do you know him? Have you talked to him today? Did you talk to him yesterday or is Derby Day too busy for God? Do you know him? Because as you will see in this passage today, knowing about God will not come close to saving you from hell and judgment. Knowing about God will not come close to saving you from hell and judgment. You need to know Him. He is working that you would know Him. The purpose for your life is that you would know Him so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. There indeed is no one like our God. Just imagine the passage that we read in Mark 5 in that New Testament Scripture reading that I read just a few minutes ago. I know today you don't see too many demon-possessed people and so it's a little bit different. You also don't see the God-man, God in flesh walking around right now because he's sitting at the right hand of God. But, but there was a time where Jesus was on earth. And did you hear the passage? The man is so demon-possessed. The man is so barbaric, right? It reminded us of a Hercules or a Samson or a Goliath or, or something out of this world that nobody could stop this man. They would even put him in chains and he could just, boom, right out of the chains. And my kids are so into superheroes, so I've got all types of vivid images in my mind of somebody so strong that they can bust through any of man's restraints. Now, Jesus, from what we see in the Scriptures, was not very strong. We see that Jesus was just a little meek man. We see that Jesus didn't look very good. He was a carpenter, so yeah, he knew how to work with his hands and that sort of thing. But there's nothing in the Bible that makes us think that Jesus was walking around like Shaquille O'Neal, bigger and badder than everybody, and that's why everybody bowed down to him. Not at all. Jesus was a normal man. And in this passage where everybody's afraid of him in Mark chapter 5, it says that Jesus approaches him, walks up to him, and the barbaric Hercules man falls down at his feet and says, Don't! Why? Why? Because God is God. And there's nobody like Him. Nobody. Pharaoh's got it. Pharaoh needs to know there is only one God and there's nobody in all the earth like him. Do not oppose him. If you're here today, I don't know where you came from, what you did last night or where your heart was this morning, but do not leave here today opposing God. Do not thwart yourself above him. Don't rise your arrogance or your pride or your self-dependency above God. There's nobody like him and you need to be on his side. He is for you. Do not reject him. The purpose in life is that you would know God. 
One commentator says that Pharaoh, if Pharaoh retained any doubts about the purpose of the plagues to this point, he had no reason to be uncertain any longer. God has clearly said, here's why I'm doing this. There's no doubt. Look at what it says in verse 15 now. I love this statement. If you underline or highlight, look at this. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. What a verse. What a verse. God speaks to a man what, what is the reality, what is the truth. Pharaoh, I'm doing this so that you would know. And, and Pharaoh, by now I could have put out my hand, which that doesn't necessarily mean anything, and I could have struck you with stuff and you would be gone from the earth. Can you imagine? Who is this? See, Pharaoh right now is not getting what the man possessed by hundreds of demons, legion, knew. Nobody on earth could stop legion. Jesus has power over legion. And so legion's like, don't. Make it stop. Don't torment me. Because Jesus could have walked up to the strongest man on the planet, demon-possessed, struck out his hand, and cursed him off of earth, cut him off from earth forever. That man would be gone, dead, obliterated. God says this to Pharaoh. For by now, Pharaoh, especially with your uh, ignorance, your hardness of heart, your, your, your hard head, your sternness, by now I could have. I want to ask you here today, if you know the power of God, and do you know it in your life? Do you know that by now, He could have done away with you? I'm not saying He should have. He's not like that. He could have. I don't know your hearts. I don't know what's in your closets. But I know my own. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to have a wife and, and four kids and, and you all. God should have stuck out his hand and done away with me a long time ago. And he tells this to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh should have said, gosh, that is so very true. Why, God, haven't you? And then God would have gone back to point number one. Because there's a purpose. I want you to know me. God, why haven't you done that? Why haven't you wiped me away? I'm such a mess. I talked to a man today who told me he'd been running from God for 35 years. Why hasn't God done away with that type of rebellion? Because he's he's such a good God. He loves us. He could have, but He doesn't. The power of God could have wiped us away, but the the patience of God doesn't. I love that statement, though, verse 15. By now, Pharaoh, I could have. Look at verse 16. He says it again. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God is so passionate that all the earth, everywhere, would know His name. You ever watch a basketball game and somebody makes a good play? And they run down the court like this. I don't know if you've ever seen it. 
but somebody makes a good play. They're running down the court doing like this, using their thumb to point to the name on the back of their jersey. Like, look, look at me. You see that play? My name's Green. Get that name. Green. And people want people to remember their name because they just did something good. Who did that nice move? Green did. I want you to see it. The very next play, they turn the ball over. They blow their knee out and they're done. We don't need to know each other's name, remember each other's name. But there is one that you and me and our neighbors and all of Kentucky and the whole wide world must know. And it's God. They must know what he's like. They must know of his love. They must know of his purpose and his power and his patience. And for this purpose, Pharaoh, I've raised you up. Fascinating verse here at, at, at Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. This is the very verse in Romans chapter 9 that, that Paul writes to the Romans to show that God has a sovereign purpose in saving His elect. And it is through this passage that we see God working purposely through the hardening of Pharaoh's heart to save His people. This very verse quoted in Romans 9. For this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power. The power of God. One commentator says that this is the first plague announcement in which the prediction is made that Egyptian lives would actually be lost. Down there in verse 19, you will see that it says, For every man and beast that is in the field and is, and is not brought home will die. Up until this point, with the first six plagues, there was nothing, a lot of inconvenience. But now God has threatened to kill. We have the, the purpose of life. We have the, the power of God. We have the patience of God. Verse 16, he says, But for this purpose I've raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may, may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now let's think about this for a second. How in Pharaoh's situation is the name of God going to be proclaimed in all the earth? How? Because what is happening with the people of God, everybody knows about and will hear about. Our Bible has spread the message to the whole wide world of the story of the people of God. And everybody who's ever been familiar with the, with the, uh, with the Bible has heard of Pharaoh and his refusing to let the people go. There's a children's song that you sing to kids that says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Everybody knows that. He does not let the people go. And for this reason, God raised Pharaoh up in that position, that way, so that the power of God would be seen. Power to save. Power to overcome. Power to let people go, even though the, the, the master doesn't want to let them go. The power of God here is unbelievable. And the whole world needs to know about this. Because you need some power in your lives. I need some power in my life. And the power is in God, not in ourselves. Verse 17, here we see the pride of man. And this is a verse that, that ought to rock you back a little bit. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Now here's the heart of the problem. The pride of man. Pharaoh was prideful. Pharaoh was exalting 
himself. When you're doing this number at the back of your jersey, you're exalting yourself. When you talk more about yourself than you do anything else, you're exalting yourself. When all of your money goes towards you, you're exalting yourself. When all you think about is you, you're exalting yourself. Pharaoh was exalting himself, and here is the problem. There had already been six plagues, and the pride of man, the pride of man is being seen so clearly. There had already been six plagues, and Pharaoh was supposed to say, Okay, God, I get it. I repent. I trust you. I'll let the people go. But he doesn't. And this is the case, right? This is the case that regardless of the situation, some people turn to God, bow the knee, confess Christ, repent of their sins, and be saved. And some people don't. It's awful to see how many people don't. This week I got to sit at the bedside in the hospital of a man who's in his 80s. I sat there with him three feet apart. We talked about all kinds of good stuff. I saw him crying because he's upset. I asked him if he'd been thinking about the Lord any. He said, yes. He asked me if there was anything after this life. I said, yes, there is. I went on to explain the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the, the, the sending of Jesus, the dying on the cross, the rising from the grave, the forgiveness of sins. God loves us. He will forgive you if you will believe Him. And he said, no. You're shocked. He said, no. He said, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. The pride of man. Still exalting yourself to that extent? Man, I'm telling you, he loves you. By now, he could have stuck out his hand and said, that's enough of your rebellion. But he didn't. He doesn't. He's patient. This man said, no. Some people believe and some people don't. Do you remember Hebrews 11 verse 7 says that Noah was warned that something bad was coming and so Noah acted and prepared himself by building a boat when everybody else said, no, that is not coming. Do you remember on the cross as Jesus hung there, there was a thief on each side. They're about to die. Judgment will be facing them at the moment they take their breath. It says to to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. They would stand before God so very soon. One thief is making fun of him. Yeah, you really are God. If you were God, why don't you get yourself down? As a matter of fact, why don't you get us down? You're not God. Mocking him, literally mocking him on his deathbed. The pride of man. Who, who stands beside God and makes fun of God? Much worse. Who, who hangs on a cross? Who goes to capital punishment? Who lays on their deathbed, hangs on their death tree beside God and still mocks Him. People like us. Sinful people. The pride of man. Yet there was that other one on the cross beside Him who said, do you not fear God? I don't know how you look over 
two crosses down. But he spoke to him. Do you not fear God? This man beside, we're guilty, but this man here is innocent. He believed and he was saved. But I'm saying that the pride of man causes us to not believe, causes us to not trust God, causes us to not turn to God. And we see this happening here. There's that great passage in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. And God finally gets Nebuchadnezzar to see that he is God. Again, God ratcheted it up on him. In Daniel chapter 4, it says that God made Nebuchadnezzar like a wild beast. And his fingernails grew out long. And he was on all fours in the field. And he ate only grass. This really happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And then finally Nebuchadnezzar realized, You are God. So God pulls that back from him and Nebuchadnezzar come back and it says that the reason and the right mind of Nebuchadnezzar came back to him. And you know what Nebuchadnezzar said in the last verse of Daniel chapter four? Awesome verse. Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. You think? You think God can humble you? Yes. And what we should learn by faith, what we should learn by his grace is that let's don't learn it that way. Let's don't be like Pharaoh. Let's don't be like Nebuchadnezzar. Let's turn to him and say, God, have mercy upon us. You're still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Keep reading verse 18. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So God has just said... I'm about to send a storm, a hailstorm that will be the worst ever. There has never been a hailstorm in Egypt as bad as the hailstorm I will send upon you. Now, we don't have a lot of hailstorms around here. We know what hell is. We know what hell damage is on a car. You've seen some cars that are banged up before. But, but we don't see hell often like ruin our city or something like that. But it happens. It does. I'll read to you just a little bit of, little bit of facts. Fatal hailstorms occur often around the world still today. Serious, severe ones. In 1888, a huge hailstorm happened in northern India and the hailstorm killed 240 people. Hail hitting people in India about 140 years ago and killed 240 people. Okay? It happens. Keep going though. Look at this. But it, 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 they happen all the time where some people die. Maybe not 240, but where some people die. Listen to this. A single hailstorm killed or injured 400 people in Germany in 1984, just uh, 30 years ago. And a storm in China's Henan province killed 22 people and injured 200 on July 22, 2002, just 12 years ago. Hell can be big. The very first time I ever went to Ecuador, we went to into this... Uh, pizza shop and we went inside and we were in there about an hour we went inside there was no storm and when we came back out there were piles about six feet tall like huge piles of hail because what had happened was a hailstorm had come while we were inside the restaurant we heard it but we didn't see anything and by the time we come out they have had to shovel it and pile it up huge piles of hail i've never seen that happen here i've seen here maybe 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 golf ball size Maybe about the size of a nickel is what you've seen of hell. 
But hell can come, it can be heavy, it can be strong, it can be big, it can be lots, and it can come. And God has said, Pharaoh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm sending a huge hailstorm upon Egypt, one like has never been experienced before. Verse 19. Now, therefore, send. Get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hell falls on them. Verse 19, tomorrow. Now, I want you to see here the patience of God, the power of God that he can bring this. But the patience of God and that he doesn't say, you made me mad. I'm going to kill you now. God doesn't act that way. You know, one of the things that I'm continually having to learn in parenting is that you, you don't discipline when, when you're upset. You don't, you don't jump on them right when it happens because then you're acting out of anger. And that's hard to learn. Because once you wait a little bit and you calm down, you don't really care to go back and put attention to it. That's tiring. Parenting is tiring. But it also is very dangerous to react immediately without thinking through everything, right? Oftentimes when somebody retaliates... They weren't thinking. So we ought to be thinking. Well, God here has said, I'm going to do this tomorrow. The patience of God. And he tells him he's going to do it. And then he even says, go get all your stuff and bring it to shelter. Now, I've told you, he's not punishing them. He's getting them to see that he's God. He's making them know him. Think about this. I'm about to do something to you that can destroy you. But you got a day. Go get your animals, get everything, and, and bring it in to shelter. Be safe. That's what God says. The patience of God. God has told us that if we reject Him, we will face judgment. God has told us that if we do not believe in Him for the forgiveness of sins, we will go to hell. And now He's just letting us live. We could turn to him. And yet many people don't. He's so patient with us. I think back often to my my teenage years and I think, man, did God preserve me. He kept me. Wow, was he patient with me. I could have ruined my life, should have ruined my life so many times. And yet he was patient. I'm so thankful there's no social media. There was not social media when I was a kid. God was patient. God is patient. He's about to destroy uh, or bring something that can destroy Pharaoh and Egypt. And he says, but it'll be tomorrow. Take shelter. Be safe. But if you don't, you will die. Look at verse 20. Then... Whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Some some just don't. Some did, but some don't. Verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail. Very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. God brought it. God brought it. Commentator 
Stewart says this was a killer storm with huge hailstones destined to do damage of all sorts, including destroying humans, animals and crops. Psalm 148 verse 8 says, fire and hail and stormy winds obey God's word. Psalm 78 verse 47 and 48 says, he destroyed their vines with hail. He gave over their cattle to hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. When God desires to bring a storm, he can bring a storm. Yet the patience of God is seen that He told them to get safe from it. Yet the power of God is seen that He brought it. Matthew Henry says, God has the directing of the pregnant clouds and causes it to rain or hail on one city and not on another, either in mercy or in judgment. That's our God. The power of God and yet the patience of God being met by the pride of man. Verse 25, the hail struck down everything that was in the field, in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. My last point I told you about was the protection of God's people. So in Egypt, God is destroying everything, yet there's this one little place, Goshen, where God's people are, and they are protected. No hell's falling there. They're good. God protects His own. Jesus says of His sheep, all that have come to Me, none will be cast out. Not any. None. God is a protector of His people. A preserver of His people. Those who run to Him are safe. God protects His people. In the Civil War, Stonewall Jackson has been quoted to say that I am invincible until God is finished with me. You have this type of idea here. The plague of hell, severe hailstorm is on Egypt. It's everywhere. But there's a little town of Goshen where God's people are huddled up and nothing is happening there. The protection of God's people. Verse 27 Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. Now pay attention. Pharaoh is finally speaking. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hell. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Right there, it looks like Moses or Pharaoh has learned, doesn't it? If you were to ask us, that is just it. He says all of the right things. I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. We are in the wrong, me and my people. Please pray to God that He would stop, that He would have mercy, that He would remove this discipline, punishment, plague from us. Sounds like all the right stuff, doesn't it? But it's not. He doesn't yet fear the Lord. He just knows that he ought to. And so he cries out. This ought to be a great warning to us that not everybody who says they believe in Christ really does. Not everybody who says that they want the forgiveness of God really wants the forgiveness of God. It is one thing to want God to stop the bad happening in your life. And it's another thing to realize, I need God. 
Let me say it again. It is one thing to want God and acknowledge that God can stop the bad stuff happening in your life. We see that all the time. But it is another thing, a totally different thing, a better thing, greater thing, a God thing to say, I am wrong. I need you, God. So Pharaoh here is saying all the right things. And if you stop at verse 28, it sounds like he's repenting. But watch what Moses says. Verse 29. Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hell so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. Remember, that is the purpose of life. The first point we have it at verse uh, 14. We have it at verse 16. We have it again at verse 29 so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's Pharaoh. You've got to know this. Now, look at verse 30. Moses speaking to Pharaoh. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. See, Moses knew. Moses, the prophet. God is telling Moses. Moses is observing that although they're asking for God to relent, they're asking for God to let up. They are not turning to God. And may we be mindful of this. There's only one way to be saved. Repent of your sins. And turn to Jesus. I often like to tell uh, the young people in the church that, that we're discipling. That salvation is two sides to the same coin, like a quarter. If you're a young person that's ever sat in my office with me, you've seen me pull out a quarter and show you this. On one side of a quarter is George Washington. On the other side of a quarter is a, either a state or an eagle. They look totally different. But they're both a quarter. Salvation is turning to Jesus, believing who He is, that He died on the cross and rose from the grave, and that He died for your sins. But it is also turning your back on your sins and no longer going that way, no longer desiring that, no longer wanting that, but going to God. You must have that. And if you're sitting right here going this way, and you say, God, stop it. God, forgive me of my sin. God, help me. God, remove this. Then you have not repented of your sins. And no matter how much you say you've been believed in Christ, or you've been baptized, or you go to church, or whatever, if you will not turn to Him and turn against you in self and sin, you will not be saved. Pharaoh is saying all the right things. And Moses says, no, Pharaoh, I know that you don't yet fear the Lord. What a wake-up call to us. Remember it said back there that he was cheating God? Remember Moses prayed that last week? God, don't let Pharaoh cheat you anymore. He says the right things, but his heart doesn't believe it. We need to be a church that realizes that God saves people. Let's hold up salvation high. God God doesn't work in people's lives for them to not change. That's phony. They don't fear the Lord. Pharaoh's not saved here. He's not turned to God. He wants hell that's killing everything in his great nation to go away. That's not salvation. Moses calls him out on it in verse 30. Verse 31. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord And the thunder and the hell ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. I want to make a point here. Why does it say that Moses went out of the city, right? Moses was in Goshen where everything was right. But verse 34 says that Moses walks out there. What's Moses doing? Venturing out into the field where the destructive hailstorm is happening. What's he doing? Just walking 
in the protection of God. And yet we talk about sending missionaries all the time to the nations like this says, so that they may know the name of the Lord, right? And what we always hear is, but it's dangerous over there. What's going to happen? What if there are bombs or, or worse? A bomb thrown by a man or a hailstorm thrown by God. What if those are there? Moses, don't walk out there. Moses says, God's got me. Just like Stonewall Jackson said, I'm invincible until God is through with me. If God tells His people to go there so that they may know the Lord, then go there so that they may know the Lord. We have one great passion that overrides every other passion we might feel. We exist to tell people about Jesus. It's on the front of your bulletin. We get it everywhere we can. If they are living, they need to know the Lord. And God will bring it to them however He has to bring it to them that they would stop exalting themselves, they would recognize the patience of God, the power of God, and that they would believe. And the Bible says that when Christ hung there on the cross, that it was our sins that killed Him. God loves us. Jesus will save you from your sins if you will believe in Him. You will stop exalting yourself. Look at verse 33. Sorry, verse 34. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. And you read that, and your heart sinks. And you think, Pharaoh? Why, Pharaoh? And yet we know ourselves that unless God is the one at work in us, we don't love God. I want to ask you here today, if you are more like Pharaoh. And I want to ask you here today, if you would believe on Jesus. Do you know God? Do you want to know Him? Do you love Him? Do you believe in Him? Has Jesus forgiven you of your sins? Are you His child? Or do you know something about Him, but you don't really know Him? Do you find yourself drifting back into a hardness of heart, sinning yet again, just asking God for the things that you need? You're more like Pharaoh. Hear me today. Don't be that way. See the the power of God and and the patience of God against the pride in your life so that the purpose of life would be bright in you, that you would know Him, that you would know Him. The Bible says that God is slow to anger and abounding in love. May we be those who know Him as that towards us because of Jesus. He loves us. May we not exalt ourselves above that and so be foolish like Pharaoh. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, We ask that you would overcome our sinfulness. We ask, God, that you would give us faith 
And I pray, God, that for whoever's here today that is exalting themselves over you, God, that they would bend their knee, that they would say, Father, have mercy upon me, and that they would be saved. Father, we pray that you would do a great work in our hearts as we recognize what you're like and we recognize what we're like and even what we don't want to be like. God, have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.